It's so good to see you all at Hope this morning. Uh, if you're our guest today, welcome. Uh, this is what happens when you're in a tear-up, set-down, uh, I got that reverse, set-up, tear-down uh, kind of thing. Some things don't work sometimes, but you know what? God always does. And that's, that's really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the, the power of our God. So if you would, open your Bibles, if you brought them with you in your phone, tablet, whatever you use, to the book of Joshua. I promise those who've been with us a while, we are wrapping up Joshua in the next uh, couple of weeks. Someone, someone this week said, Pastor Mike, remember back when you were in Luke? That's like went on forever. I'm like, yeah, Joshua, we're not doing that, okay? So we're not doing like the six-month thing. We're just, uh, we're just building through a story, uh, a real story, not a fable, a real story of how God directs us to pursue the tomorrows he has for us. How God leads us into possessing what he put in us when he created us. The giftings and the, and the talents and the dreams and the things that he wants to bring through us. He has a way of getting us there. And all through this story, all through this teaching, what we've been doing is trying to find the keys that he shows us in the story of how we walk it out and how we embrace God's future for us. And today, we're looking at a question. We're looking at something so important that if we don't answer it properly, we're really, we're really limited. We're really hindered if we don't have a great understanding of this question. So I want you to, to open your hearts and mind this morning and let this word speak to us and, uh, and know that God is speaking to you this morning. You know, every time we open God's Word, and I think it's important we say this from time to time, remember, but when we open God's Word, His Holy Spirit is breathing in it and breathing through it, so He's making it real to us. And it may be saying something to you that it's saying different to someone else, but God is working His will in your life. So this morning, would you open your, would you open your heart with mine? Let's just let God speak to us. Would you agree with that this morning? If you do, just kind of nod your head, all right? So I know you're with me, okay? Joshua chapter 5. Verse 13 is where we're at. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. The children of Israel have crossed now into the promised land. They have set foot uh, on the other side, so they've crossed the Jordan miraculously. And now we have this encounter between the leader, Joshua, and, and literally, and I'll explain this so it makes sense when you get there, literally, Jesus Christ. It, it was a, what they call in theology a Christophany. It's, a, it's where Christ showed up in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, remember, he didn't start in a manger, okay? Christ was there from the very beginning, from creation. So here we have this appearance of Christ right before they go into the battles that are going to lead them to possess the land. So pick it up in verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You may have the, the captain of the host, depending on what version you're reading here. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What I want to focus on today is really a single question. It's a single question that really determines whether we fully possess what God has for us or not. It's a question of faith. It's a question we all must answer. And can I tell you, it is much, much more important than the question, God, what is your will for my life? Because that's really where most people stand. They're like, well, can God just show me what your will is? And that's important, but this question supersedes that. Even so, much so that it's important, it's more important than the question, God, how's it going to happen? 
Because that's where we struggle quite often too. We can see what God wants. We're like, but God, how is it going to happen? But today, we're going to answer the same question that God asked both Joshua and his predecessor, Moses. We're going to go back a little bit this morning. And that question is simply this. How big is your God? How big is your God? See, we're wrapping this up in the next few weeks. And next week, we're going to get into the story of Jericho. But I want us to go back for just a second because I think sometimes we, we miss the, the history that shows us again God's working. You see, this story started over 400 years before it was recorded and before we read at the time of Joshua. Literally 400 years before this, the people of Israel, they were a people without a home. They, they were homeless. They had, they had gone down out of, the, out of their land into Egypt because of a famine, and there they, they were brought into captivity under Pharaoh, and they served as slaves, basically. They were, they were in bondage, and, uh, and God had to deliver them out of Egypt. We, we, we recognize that through the story of Moses. But as they, were, as they were delivered out of Egypt, they entered into another period where they were wandering for 40 years. Guys, I don't know about you, but we have struggled when we wandered for five minutes. They were wandering for 40 years, not knowing what God was going to do. And they weren't a perfect people. Aren't you glad for that? Because we're not a perfect people. But they had two things in mind they never lost track of. They understood there is no God but Jehovah. There is no God to be served but the one who delivered them, the one who saved them. But they also understood that God had made a promise to their father, Abraham. And that promise was that one day he was going to bring them into this land and he was going to bring them into this place where they would be a great nation and become a blessing to all those around them. But yet they were wandering and here we come to this point where now they've stepped to the threshold, they've, they've stepped into the land and I can imagine they were dealing with all the questions we would. Well, what now, God? All right, we're here. What do we do? How, how do we take possession of this? And, and, and God, God answered them in a way that they weren't expecting. You see, the question that he brought to, to Joshua was a question about how do you possess tomorrow? And it really is a central theme over the whole point of God bringing them out to bringing them in. And that is that possessing your tomorrow is all about God. It's not just about us. It's all about God, his will, his strength, his way for his glory. So when he brought him across the Jordan, instead of immediately attacking Jericho, instead of immediately beginning to possess the land, he brought them through three, three things they had to walk in in order to get ready to answer the question. And we're going to cover them very briefly this morning because they're not really the, the thrust of this message, but I think it's important to see them. The first thing he did was, he said, okay, guys, you came through the, the Jordan, you've crossed the, 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 the river, now you're standing on the land. He says, now I want you to get 12 stones from the middle of the river, one for every tribe, and I want you to set them up as a memorial. He said, because there's going to become a day where people will forget what God did. There will become a day where people forget God's faithfulness. Can I tell you, church, we need to learn to set memorials in our lives. We need to learn to journal and to, and to record what God has done for us. Because just like the children of Israel, we are human and we are very forgetful. And that's not a place to amen, that's an oh my. Because what happens, we get a little trouble, a little difficulty, and we go, where's God? Well, he's the same God that saved you. He's the same God that healed you. He's the same God that provides for you. And guess what? He's not going to fail us now because he's never failed us in the past. So he said, I want you to memorialize this moment because you don't want to ever forget that generations that follow you need to know there's a great God who can divide the waters to bring his people to the place he wants them to be. The second thing they had to do is, is they renewed the covenant of circumcision. Can I tell you, I was not tempted to teach you a sermon on circumcision this morning. But yet it's important because what they did is they renewed a covenant. In other words, they did their part to recognize that God had done his part. 
And what it meant for them was simply this. God was reminding them that anything that is going to be created, anything that's going to be spoken into existence, anything that's going to be from you is actually from God himself. And it's not by your own will, by your own might, by your own power, but only by the power of God working in you. And he needed to remind them of that. And then the last thing he did is he, he told them to again to start celebrating Passover, to remind themselves again that their inheritance of the promised land would be simply taken by the same methodology that, Christ, that God used to get them out of Egypt, and that is by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony of faith that they believe and trust in God. You see, all he was doing was he's setting them up to answer the question, how big am I to you? You see, this led to this encounter. Here is Joshua going out and what he's doing. Listen, what Joshua's doing is what you and I would do, and I don't blame him. He was going out and he was scoping out Jericho. And I can just picture him looking at the walls and the greatness of that city and thinking, wow, God, the Jordan, that was a cool miracle, but God, that's big. God, God, how are we going to do that? And I imagine being a commander of the armies, he was making strategies. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to breach the walls. Here's how we're going to get through the gate. And there he comes face to face with Jesus himself. And he asks him, are you for us or are you for our enemies? In essence, what Joshua was saying is what you and I say to God a lot, and that is, God, are you going to help us with our plans or not? God, God are you going to come through with what I desire in my heart, or God, am I, am I totally on my own? And Jesus replied to Joshua what he really replies to us. We just don't want to hear it. And he's, he said, neither. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm neither. He said, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So what, what Jesus said to Joshua was simply this. He said, look, I'm already accomplishing God's plan. And the question to you is not, can I do it? The question to you is, are you going to trust me and follow my steps? You see, Joshua was made aware that God is in charge. And we need to always remember that, gang. God is in charge of our future. God is in charge of our tomorrow. And the question is not to us, are we going to figure out all that he wants us to do? Are we, going to, are we going to know all the commands more so than are we going to know the commander himself? And are we going to have a relationship with him? Because that's what matters. Because when we are in relationship with our God, we are in relationship with our Christ, then it's not a matter of being obedient little children. It's a matter of trusting and walking in the fellowship and the flow of God so that we know by the Holy Spirit what he's doing in us and through us so we can follow him. You see, the question is not, how am I going to make tomorrow happen? The question is, how big is my God? I want you to see this on the screen. I want you to get this in your life. The greatest moments of life are, are the miraculous moments where our human impotence and God's divine omnipotence intersect. The greatest moments when we realize, God, I can't. And God says, yeah, but I can, and I have, and I will. You see, that's where Joshua was. He was trying to answer that question, how big is your God? Years ago, I heard this story. I don't know if it's true or not. Sometimes you've got to be careful of stories you hear in sermons. I, I, just, I heard this, and it applies, okay? So with the Google age we live in, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Fair enough? But back in the, I think it was in the 70s, the, the famous golfer, golfer Arnold Palmer. Anybody know that besides Ice-T? Okay, it's not just tea with lemon. He actually was a real guy. Uh, he was going to a tournament in Saudi Arabia, but he had, a, he had a, an audience with the king of Saudi Arabia. And the king sent forth word to him and said, I'd like to present you with a gift. What would you like? And Arnold Palmer thinking, well, I don't want to ask too much. I, you know, I need to be humble here. I, I am a great golfer, but he's the king. He says, you know, a golf club would be sufficient. And sure enough, when he shows up to have audience with the king, 
That's exactly what the king gave him, not a golf club, but the deed to a golf club. Now he owned a golf club in, the, in Saudi Arabia. And the moral of the story is this, when you're in the presence of the king, don't ask for small things. You need to ask what the king is fully able to do. And that's really where we are with God. We don't ask for small things, we serve a big God. But yet, in our journey of faith, we battle these tensions. They're hard. When we're stepping out for God, there's always this, this game, this battle that goes on in our minds. And it really falls along this spectrum. It's on one side is, God, God, I don't, I don't want to appear foolish. God, I, God, I don't want to be embarrassed by this, God. I, 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 I may be expecting too much. So that's, that's one side of the, t- of the tension, right? But the other side of the tension is, is equally dangerous, and that is, uh, hey, God, I've got this. <laughs> you can have the day off. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. Come on, we're going to just walk right ahead. No, there's this tension, and foolishness is one of the things we have to battle when it comes to stepping out by faith. Look, Joshua had to feel this. He had to, he had to feel that in his spirit a little bit like, God, if you don't come through, these people are going to abandon me, Father. Don't, don't make me look bad. But, but yet God had already promised Joshua what he promises us. He said, be strong and courageous. He says, I've given you my word, and God is not a man that he should lie. He says, I've given you my patterns to walk in, because when you walk in obedience, that's where the blessing flows. But more than that, I've given you my presence. Joshua, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I didn't get you to the promised land now to abandon you. You see, when we step out in faith and we, we change the course of our lives to pursue God's will, can I tell you, other people will tell you you're foolish. Others will gladly tell you where you're going to fall. Others will, will poke holes in every point when you share God's will. That's why I encourage you sometimes when God has shared something with you and you know you're going to step out, be careful who you share it with. Because people will always be glad to tell you you're going to fail. Remember Noah building the ark out in the middle of nowhere where there was no land? I mean, he had plenty of detractors saying, Noah, you're just stupid. Even his own son was like, Daddy, you've been out in the sun too long. I mean, it was, it was something else. But he knew that he knew God called him to build the ark. Even King David, before he was the king, when he was the young boy that went out and took down Goliath, his own brothers told him he was foolish. That's bad when your own family tells you you're just stupid, right? It's like, come on, we know you. We know where you came from. And they were trying to make him something that he was not. I've got to believe the other disciples. When Peter said, Jesus, I'm coming across the water. I'm stepping out. They're like, oh, there goes Peter again. Get ready to rescue him. He's going to drown himself. Because they knew Peter was kind of that reckless, and reckless disciple. But yet he knew that he knew that Jesus was able Can I tell you that the Bible says that even Jesus appeared foolish on the cross, wearing a crown of thorns, when he was fully God, able to call 10,000 angels to rescue him. But yet he went to the cross to appear foolish so that we could have life today. You see, the greatest chapters of history are always begin with risk. They always begin with appearing foolish. And the same is true with the chapters of your life and my life. Because here's the key. You cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk your own reputation. You cannot build God's great name if you're not willing to risk your own name. I remember the, I, it literally like it was yesterday, the day we launched Hope. I can tell you on September 14th, 2008, I was so thankful that my team and everyone around me was not listening to what was going on in my head that morning at about 9.45. 
Because we had, we had invested everything. We had, we had spent $50,000 on equipment. Denise and I had gone all in. The team was all there. Preparation had made. We'd invited 50,000 folks. We'd sent letters everywhere. And I'm standing beside the door, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to open the door or not. Because God, if I open that door and nobody is there, I am totally foolish. And God spoke to my heart in that moment. I never forget what he said to me. I was worried about my reputation. I was worried about my kids. I had moved them from a very comfortable life in, a, in the big house out in the country to dad's crazy dream of coming and forming a church in, a, in Charlotte. I, I was worried about my wife thinking, oh, Mike, come on. Let's, what would you do there? I was worried about Justin and Mel and the other team, like they poured so much into it. But what I needed to understand, and this is what God spoke to me, is that he had entrusted me with his reputation. He had entrusted me with his good name. And he led me to that moment because it was more about me and him. It was more about relationship than it was about building a church. And what he was doing, he was asking me the question we have to answer today when it comes to possessing our tomorrows. How big is your God? Do you trust him or not? Do you believe he's the God of the Bible or do you believe he's the little God the world has made him into? You see, Joshua wasn't the only leader that had to deal with this. Moses, his predecessor, had the same question asked him just in a different way. In fact, if you'll flip back in your Bible, just a little bit back to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11, we see a story that, that, that really put Moses to the test, and it was the story of the children of Israel dealing with the realities of walking in the wilderness. You see, they'd been in slavery for 400 years, now God had delivered them, and as they journeyed the promised land, Moses found out something very important. Sometimes it's harder to get Egypt out of a person than it is to get that person out of Egypt. And it's the same with you and I. When we get saved, sometimes it's harder for us to get out of those bad habits of thinking and acting than it is just to accept the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in spite of the slavery, in spite of all the miracles of deliverance, and all, in spite of all they had seen, believe it or not, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They'd rather be in bondage than to have to trust in a great God. Pick it up in Numbers 11, verse 4. It says, The Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Here's what they were saying. God, I would choose slavery over your miracle. God, I would choose bondage where it was safe in the way, in the sense they were fed, than having to trust you to live out here in this path, God, that requires your miraculous provision. You see, even though they'd been delivered, even though they'd seen God do amazing things, Egypt was pulling them back and trying to bring them back into bondage again. That's why at Hope, one of the things we want you to do is, 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 is join in in that, in that track of growth that we set out before you that involves being part of a group and serving and all these things. Why? Because we have a lot of Egypt in us after we get saved. And we have a lot of bondage in us that we needs, to be, needs to be broken and let go. And we need community around us if we're ever going to break free. That is why, to me, the greatest risk of you being in Charlotte is this. You can bounce from church to church to church to church to church and never have community in your life. And wonder why you're in bondage so much. Because God does some things through community. And we all need it, amen? That was a good point to say amen. Somebody help me out here. Come on. I know it's warm in here. Wake up. We're good. I wore a sweater today. I'm sweating. You see, if we experience what the children of Israel experience, 
If we saw plagues come from heaven and take Pharaoh out, if we saw the Red Sea part, if we saw water from the rock and daily provision of manna, we would all say, oh, we would never doubt God. Yeah, right. We're just like them. They'd seen it all. But they could not trust God for the provision in the new land. They just wanted to go back to what they knew. You see, when God promises not only to provide meat for us or to or provide provision for us, we've got to trust him. And here the Israelites were complaining, so God says, okay, let me show you what I'm going to do. And as soon as he told them what they were going to do, even Moses started doubting. And Moses started complaining. Pick it up in Numbers 11, verse 21. It says, but Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, speaking to God, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Here's what Moses did. And, and get this caution this morning. Hear this, all right? Here's what Moses did. They're complaining. God says, I'll take care of it. And Moses got all logical. He pulled his calculator out. He's like, God, if you killed all the lambs, if you brought all the fish of the sea, God, I'm, I'm not sure God is going to be enough. And what he was asking is like, God, how's this going to happen? It doesn't make sense. Neither does it make sense when God speaks to your life and says, I want your marriage to be an example to other people's marriages. And I want you to walk in such a way to show that the grace of my God and the unconditional love of our Father can make two sinners come together and live a whole life together where others will say, I want that in me. It doesn't make sense when God speaks to you and says, I want you to adopt a child that has been abandoned and broken and, and discarded. And the question in your heart is, God, how am I going to make room for that in my life? It doesn't make sense when God says, you know, that, that wonderful six-figure job that you have and all that, guess what? I need you in a different country as a missionary because they need to hear about Jesus through you. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense when God says, I want you to build a business that's going to bless others, that the profits are going to go for my glory and not just for your 401k. It doesn't make sense when we get logical, but God doesn't always deal in the logical. God deals in the miraculous. And God said something to Moses that you and I never want to happen. Can I tell you, very quite honestly, you never want to have God ask you a question because he's not looking for information. <laughs> he knows the answer. But when he asks you a question, it's because you're not getting it. And so in verse 23, the Lord answered Moses. Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. What he was saying to Moses is simply this. Listen, Moses, you've got to decide how big I am. And you've got to recognize that I'm not diminished by your small faith, and I'm not diminished by what's happening today, and I'm not diminished by the, the culture around you. I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And what he was saying to him is he was saying, listen, Moses, you've got to answer this. Because if you're ever going to possess tomorrow, you've got to trust that I am who I say that I am. Moses, is there a limit to my power? Moses, is my arm too short? Am I big enough to care for you? Am I big enough to take care of you? And the obvious answer is what? It's no. No, God, you're, you're omnipotent. We know the right answers, right? God, you're omnipotent, which means by definition, listen, write this down, there is nothing that God cannot do. That's what omnipotent means. There is nothing too great for him, yet many of us pray and act like our problems are bigger than our God. I want you to see this. I'm going to put it on the screen. 
God is infinitely bigger than any problem you have. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem or your biggest dream. And his grace is infinitely greater than your worst sin. Can I tell you, that's good news this morning. He is greater than your worst sin, and he is bigger than any problem you face or any dream that you believe God's put in your heart to fulfill. You see, our biggest problems usually aren't what we really think they are. And I'm not trying to make light of anybody's pain because we all experience pain in life. But our biggest problem is our view of God being too small. And possessing tomorrow depends totally on our view of God. You see, with God, there's no big or small. There's no great or little. There's no easier, difficult, possible, or impossible. He's not subject to the things you and I are in our humanity. I'm so thankful my God does not grow tired. He's not grow weary. He doesn't need a Sunday afternoon nap. Can I get a witness this morning? I'm so thankful that my God doesn't sleep or slumber, that he's omnipresent, so he's always with us no matter where we are. And his knowledge is limitless, and he's not getting older, and he doesn't experience senior moments. Can I get a hallelujah for that? And oh, by the way, what's your name? Oh, just kidding. He doesn't, he doesn't do that because he's our God and he's big. You see, our God is not a man. He doesn't operate in our realm, but we put him in our realm. There, there's an old joke. I mean, again, it's ancient. You have to remember, when you grow up in church, you hear all the jokes. And, but this one's pretty good, so, so follow me on this one, okay? There was once a man that came to God and he had a question for God. And he said, Lord, I want to know something. He said, how, how long is a million years to you? And God laughs at a million years, and that's like a second. That's just whew, nothing. And the guy says, okay, well then, second question, if you'll allow me. How much is a million dollars to you? And God said, oh, really? He said, a million dollars? That, that's, that's, like, that's like a penny. That's like, that's like less than a penny. It's just like nothing. So the guy, thinking he was smart, said, okay, God, then can you spare a penny? And God answered back, said, sure, can you give me a second? Some of y'all need more coffee this morning. That was a good one. Come on. That's an old one. It's good. God, God is the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. As he said to the Virgin Mary when he came to her concerning the birth of Jesus, with God, all things are possible. You see, with God, it's never a question of can he. It is a question of will he. And that's a very real question. It's never a question of can he, it's a question of will he. And while we don't always know if he will, we can always pray with confidence that he can. That's why you don't give up on your prayers. That's why you keep pressing in. That's why you keep walking it out. It's not that we're trying to convince God to do something. We're just walking in faithfulness, believing, yes, he can, and we're trusting that he will. You see, when God gives you vision or promise beyond your resources, beyond your abilities, you've got to answer the question, is there no limit to his power. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story because it's kind of funny. So next week we'll talk about Jericho. But here's God. Remember the children of Israel were like, would you give us some meat please, okay? And you know, we're, we're tired of this manna. We're tired of experiencing the, the miraculous power of God. So here's what God did in Numbers 11 verse 31. It says, now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. Now how many know you have to have a, a lot of quail to get full? Have you ever eaten quail? They're like that big, okay? So he drove the wind out from the Lord and, and drove quail in from the sea. And it scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. And no one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. So here's what God did. Here's the humor in it. He says, you want quail? You want meat? I'll give you meat. 
How many of you sold meat? It's going to like drown you and it's going to like choke you because you didn't trust me. People who are much more mathematically able than I am calculate that what God did is he drove enough quail into the camp to cover 700 square miles, three feet deep with quail. Now, you may think that's a blessing until about five days after those suckers have died. How many know it stunk around the camp, all right? Because what he was saying to them is, if you don't believe I can, I'm going to show you I can. But as I show you what I can, it is actually a judgment on you because you didn't trust me. Because you didn't believe that I could do it. I got to believe that was a lesson they never forgot. God can provide. He will provide, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't act when we don't trust him. So what's the lesson for you and I? Because we're not asking for quail. We're not, we're not seeking something besides manna. You and I aren't scooping up manna every, every morning. What's the lesson to us? I really think it's about how we pray. Because prayer reflects how we approach our God. It reflects how we see our God. And I think it really boils down to this. We've got to look at how we pray and what we pray, and we've got to ask ourselves the question, is our prayer or are our prayers based on a high view of God or a, or a low view of God? Do we pray with faith believing, or do we come as a child begging with some worldly hope that maybe God just might come through for us? Do we come to approach the throne of our Heavenly Father who says, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. Come, come to me, I will give you rest. Or do we come with this fearful thought that I'm not worthy, I'm not able, I'm not sure what God is going to do, so I really don't trust coming to him. You either have a high view of God or a low view. And it really determines whether you possess tomorrow or not. The second thing you've got to ask yourself about your prayers is simply this. Why am I asking for this? Why, why am I asking for this anyway? I think if we were honest to ourselves and, and, and logged our prayers for weeks on end, we would have to come up with this truth. Most of our prayers have as the main object or the main objective our own personal comfort rather than God's will and God's glory. Maybe I'm just talking about me. But I think if we're honest, we'd be truthful with that. If we catalog most of our prayers, it really comes down to, is it more about my personal comfort or about God's glory? Let me just think for a second. If God answered your, your, your highest prayer, if God answered the very things you were praying for, would anyone else's life be better or is it just yours? You have to ask yourself that because that's a determination of how you see God, high of you, low of you. You see, if God answered all of our prayers, sometimes it would short-circuit the purposes of God in our lives as he seeks to cultivate character in us, that staying power, that, that trusting faith that doesn't give up just because things get hard. You see, when we keep asking God, why, why aren't you doing this, it, we will discover that, that the heart of God is toward us and that his focus is, is for our future. He's got things lined up, but he wants our heart more than he wants us just to high-five him and say, thanks for answering that prayer. You see, if God is our God, if he's a big God, it changes our focus. It changes how we look at things. You see, sometimes I, I struggle with you because sometimes we pray about things and, and, and we get an answer of no, and our natural human tendency is just then we'll give up. Then we're mad at God. I, I, I get frustrated when I, I hear always we're mad at God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God, stick a finger in his face, and God, I'm mad at you. Now, have I been there? Yes. Have I said that? Yes, I had enough respect to like look for thunderstorms. I'm like, God, <laughs> forgive me. I'm just being real. I'm angry right now. Things aren't happening my way, whatever. Here's the deal. When God says no to our prayers, it always doesn't mean no. 
Sometimes it just means not yet. And we've got to be okay with that. We've got to be willing to trust him even when the answer's not in the timing we want it to be. So many dreams don't get fulfilled. So many tomorrows do not get possessed because they don't line up with our timelines. And we go frustrated, we grow weary, and we see God is not wanting when he's wanting, but it's not the right time. You see, God sees the beginning from the end, and sometimes the godly no is just not yet. So the key is we've got to keep going. We've got to keep moving. We've got to keep praying, believing that God is working on our behalf. Listen, prayer is not merely seeking answers. It's really about seeking God. My relationship with him, God, I'm walking with you. I'm, I'm fellowshipping you. I'm trusting you, even when I don't understand you. Because if I ask for a show of hands around here today to say how many of us have ever hit a point where we don't understand what God is doing, we'd all have to raise our hands. Because in our human experience, we don't, we're not God. We don't see it all. But he does, and he knows what's right and what's best for us. So there comes a point where after you've prayed through and you've obeyed what you know to do, we just got to stop and let God do what God does as we move and trust him. Here's the key. When you're, when you're, when you're standing up against these, these, these bold visions or these, these big obstacles or these things that seem like they're standing in the way of God's dream for you, here's the key. We've got to be careful that we don't start manufacturing our own answers to our own prayers. Oh, well, then God must, me, must then expect me to do this. And we start creating our own scenario of how we're going to get through the problem or how we're going to overcome the obstacle or how we're going to see uh, God work through us. But can I tell you, and, and this is so key, the moment we start manufacturing our own answers, our own prayers, we become our own God. And we don't make very good gods. The moment we try to manufacture, the moment we try to make it happen in our own strength, we become our own gods. And we don't do so well on that. Back before we started Hope, we had some, we had some big mountains to climb. The organization that we were going to plant through was, was the ARC, Association Related Churches, and one of the requirements is we had to raise quite a bit of money. And um, I'll be honest with you, that's not my gift. My stewardship team, uh, my overseers, my elders, Mike, you need to talk more about money to hope. No, I don't because y'all are faithful. But, yeah, some of you need to hear more about money. But it was, it's not my thing, okay? I'm not a fundraiser. And I remember that my, my, my ceiling was I had to raise $30,000 personally. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to call my family. I don't want to call my friends. I don't call nobody. I, I just, you know, God, what are you going to do? And I was in a precarious position because I was a leader in my denomination at the state level, so I had undue influence over every other pastor. So really, I could not go ask for money. I was in this really bad spot. I'm like, God, why did you ask me to do this? If I can't go raise money, this is not happening. And I started manufacturing my own stuff, and God told me just to be still. And one day I was walking through our, our offices where I was working at the state headquarters, and I, I was on the way out. I knew I was going to go plant a church. I was just kind of marking time. And, uh, and I was walking through uh, one of the offices one day, and this will date us. How many remember the little telephone notepads? Do you remember those? You know, where they would write down so-and-so called you, and here's their number, please call back. And used to, you thought you were a big shot if you walked around with a bunch of those in your hand like people are trying to get a hold of me. And, uh, and I walked through, and I, and I, and I looked down, and I, and I saw this lady's name that was a great friend of mine. And I was like, what's Jan calling here for? And they're like, you know Jan? I'm like, Jan is like a godmother to my children. Yes, we have been in her house multiple times. I know her and her, her, her husband had passed away. I, I know them very well. They're good friends of mine. What's she calling about? And they said, oh, Mike. Oh, Mike, we need help. I said, what? She's suing us. 
Long story short, there was another church plant down in Waxhaw that, that didn't make it. Her husband, before he died, had invested some money into buying land. Uh, they, never, they never saw it. It is done, gone, and now she wants her money back. Here's a little law lesson. When you give to a nonprofit, guess where that money is? It's gone, okay? There's no retrieval. And I, I just kind of smirked, and I said, huh. I said, let me ask you something. How much did Jan uh, want back? What do you think it was? $30,000. I said, hmm. Now, I, I, I can come up with some stuff. I was like, let me ask you something. If I get you out of this mess, can that money go to the church I'm planting? And they're like, Mike, if you can get us out of this mess, that's legal fees, everything else, because we don't want to sue a widow. That just looks bad, right? I'm like, give me a second. Get my cell phone, step outside the door, call Jan. Hey, Jan, this is Mike. Sweetheart, you're going to lose. Do not waste your money. It's with lawyers. But what would you think about if that same money went to a new church plant? Oh, by the way, I'm the pastor. And she starts crying. And she says, oh, Mike. Bob would think that's the funniest thing ever. She goes, that's awesome. It's yours. Hang up. Hey, guys, thank you for the $30,000. You see, I could have tried all kind of marketing manipulative ways to, to come up with, but God had a plan that involved a sweet lady who will be here on our first Sunday when we get over there to the new buildings. I had a promise to her. I got to put a plaque up to Bob somewhere. We're still working on that. But can I tell you, when God has provision... I mean, when he gives you vision, he has provision. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can make a million five thousand quails show up on his behest. Why? Because God always is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. But we have to believe he's a big God. So what's our part? What do we do? I think we do what Joshua did. Back in Joshua 5, verse 14, when God made it clear that he was going to carry out his plan with or without Joshua, Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, then what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, Joshua, because where you're standing is holy. I think our biggest reply in these moments when we come, do we, we hit that place where we just don't see it happening, we don't know how it's going to happen, we're, we're struggling with our faith. I believe our highest thing that we can do, I believe the best thing we can do is stop and just worship our God. Because when you worship, what you're doing is you are abandoning your own strength, you're abandoning your own ways, and you're just saying, God, I'm going to honor your name. Because there is no God higher than you. There is no one with ways that are greater than yours, God. God, there's no one kinder than you. There's no one more able. You see, when we come against that place where we just don't know what's going to happen, we're really struggling with our, our faith, we can't seem to answer that question of how big is our God, the only way we really learn it is not to go and just read more or go talk to more people. The only way we learn it is to get down on our knees and our face before God and say, God, show me your greatness. Because, God, I'm going to worship you with full belief, God, that, Lord, you are able Church, can I tell you, that's where we are right now. We need to just press into God and worship. We need to just press into God and praise. There are things that are going on in your lives. There are things that you're battling and going through that you can't solve. 
There are things that you are wondering where God is and why the timing is this, and you're getting all caught up in the, in the process instead of just stopping and saying, the same God that saved me is the same God that created me, is the same God that put dreams in me, who said he will bring them to pass. But somewhere along the way, I've taken over. And I've got to release it. And the only way I know how to do that is to lift my hands and praise before him.